0: This morning, we're going to take a little bit of a different approach. It's going to be a very specific and a very unique subject. The title of the message is Black Magic and Resurrection Power. And uh, it's a very important subject, and I'm just going to let you know ahead of time exactly where we're going. We're going to be talking this morning about the influence of magic and witchcraft in our lives. Now you may say, whoa, that sounds pretty intense. Well, it is, and it's going to be. And But the thing that I'm going to be pointing out this morning is how subtle it is in our lives, and we may not even know it. So we're going to get right into it this morning. We're going to have prayer. I'm going to invite you to pray an extra special prayer, because Satan especially does not like me to preach this message. It seems like every time I preach this message, something crazy happens. So if your prayer's are true this morning, the Lord will help us. Amen. So I'm going to kneel and invite you to bow your heads wherever you are. Father in heaven, this morning, we are very thankful to be in your midst. We're very thankful to be at the camp meeting this year. We want to pray, O Lord, today for an outpouring of your Holy Spirit. We want to pray today that our hearts would be transformed, that they would be brought alive through the truth as it is in Jesus. We would experience the fullness of your love, which includes sometimes chastisement and rebuke, but also grace and love. And so, Father, this morning, help us understand what your ideal is for our lives, and may we hear and accept and receive the call to step forward in faith to make our decision to stand with you fully, truly, and completely. This morning, Father, we ask that the Spirit of God would fall upon our hearts, would awaken us to revival and reformation, and would cause us to live godly lives in Christ Jesus. For this is your great and deep desire for us. We ask this in your precious name. In Jesus' sweet name, let all God's people say, amen. Amen. Leadership Magazine, a Christian publication, actually published an article on the two subjects of spiritualism and the occult just a number of years ago and they have had in response to that thousands of Christian ministers of all denominations including Seventh-day Adventists writing back to them requesting them for help and assistance with this problem. Now friends, this is a problem that ha- has not always been. There's always been a handful of people that have seemed to dabble with this subject, but if you would have gone into a bookstore, uh, say 30 years ago, you would have seen on the shelves a very large portion, a very large section of books dealing with Christianity, the Bible, a whole shelf full of Bibles, and way in the back corner of the bookstore, you would see a little bitty section with maybe some little magic books or these kind of things. Is that true, yes or no? Now you go into the, to the bookstore in the last five years and you see the exact opposite has happened. You go in there and and, and it's just right in your face, shelf upon shelf about books concerning the occult, witchcraft, spellcasting, all these kind of things, novels and and, and stories with with, with witches and goblins and wizards and all these kind of things. And then way in the back of, of, of of the store, you'll find a little bitty section that has a few Bibles. And a few books about Christianity. How many of you have noticed that in the last several years? This thing has been a plague and it's just been increasing. The occult interest in the occult and witchcraft and spiritualism has been increasing more and more in the world today. And the Bible tells us exactly that this would happen in the very last days of earth's history. Are we living in the last days? What do you think? What days are we living in? The last days. Do you really believe that today? The evidence is in your life. How you're living your life, First Timothy chapter four, verse one and two. The Bible tells us now the Spirit expressly says that in the la- latter times or the last days, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. Now, friends, today there, that verse describes many different people in many different ways, but it speaks about people giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. And let me tell you, I remember just a number of years ago, I was out in Colorado for a Bible training course and we were going door to door and we were inviting people to take Bible studies and I met this man named Alan. And when Alan answered the door, I, he opened the door and I was standing there talking to him and he was kind of just kind of in a daze and he was just his head was kind of bobbing like this and... He was talking to me and and he eventually invited me in and he said yes to bible studies so i went back to alan's house and when i went in for the bible study my wife was with me who was then my girlfriend and we went in to sit down for that first bible study and as soon as i sat down there was this overwhelming sense as i sat down of just pure darkness you know what i'm talking about maybe you've had that kind of experience before but I just, it was like a wave, and it just came over me, literally, physically. And as we were there giving the Bible study, I remember beginning to stutter in the Bible study from the very begin to the very end. And there were times when it was like I could not even get my words out. I would stutter for almost a minute just trying to get a word out. It's never happened before. It never happened since. And when we were finished with the Bible study, this man was sitting there, and he began, as he began to talk, He began to say, well, he says, you're from such and such a place and you live in such and such apartments, don't you? And I said, "Uh, how did you know that? And he said, oh, they told me. And I had not told this man anything about me. He didn't know me and I didn't know him. And the only question that could pop into my mind was like, who's they? Right? And he said, oh, they told me. And he knew exactly where I lived. Well, the next Bible study... I was uh, needing, we were a little bit early and I needed to do a little bit of last minute preparation so I pulled around the corner from his house and parked my car and it was probably almost three quarters of a mile away. There's no way on the earth that this man could have seen my car from his house. There were several trees and other houses and all of a sudden I look up and I see this man walking down the road, heading towards me, looking right at me. And he gets right up to the car and he knocks on the window. So I roll down the window and, he, and he's, his head's bobbing again. And he says, I can't study with you anymore. And I says, well, why not? He says, they told me not to do it or else I'd die. And I said, how did you know that I was over here, Alan? He said, they told me you were coming and they told me to go down the road and I'd find you. And they told me to, for you to leave me alone. And so I said, well, you know, I tried to continue to study in some capacity. And he said, no. And so... Um, I had to leave, and I never saw him again. But friends, I want to tell you that these things are very true, and they're very serious. And if you go to the book of Ephesians chapter 6, and I prayed for Alan, still pray for him every day. If you go to the book of Ephesians chapter 6, the Bible tells us very specifically about the powers that we are dealing with that are often unseen. And we often take it for granted, we often take it lightly, but the Bible's trying to warn us, God's trying to warn us in the last days that there is something more serious in the world that's taking place. And you know this text, you've probably quoted it before, Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12, it talks in the previous verses about the armor of God, and then it goes on in verse 12, for we did not wrestle against what? Flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness and heavenly places. Therefore, what must we do, dear friends, as the the children of God? Take up the whole what? The whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand so the bible tells us that we need to be standing in the in the times of darkness putting on the whole armor of god not leaving off one little piece what do you say amen how many of you want to put on the whole armor of god this morning if you want to put on something if i want to put on a different colored suit today what do i first have to do with this suit i have to take it off So if you're going to put on the whole armor of God, there's certain things you're going to have to take off. What do you think this morning? We're going to take off all the things of the world to be able to put on all the armor of God. If you put on some of the armor of God, but not all the armor of God, that means that there's some things of the world that you've still left on because you have not put on all the armor of God. What do you think this morning? How many of you once again want to put on all the armor of God? If you're saying, I'm going to put on all the armor of God, that means you're also saying, I'm going to take all the things of the world off. What do you think today? Well, the question we want to ask is now, what does the Bible say about vampires, about zombies, about magic, and about witchcraft? And you may say, why in the world would it be preaching on this subject? It's very simple. The longer I'm a pastor the longer I'm dealing with young people, the longer longer I'm dealing with older people, I see this subject plaguing the Christian church, plaguing the Seventh-day Adventist church, and many people today are engaged and absorbed in all these things, witchcraft, magic, and things, and they think there's absolutely nothing wrong with it. They think it's innocent. And sometimes they're against it, but there are other things concerning it that they that that they are engaging in and they don't even realize that they're involved with this. And so today friends I want us to take a look at this from the Bible and see what does the Bible say about this? What does the Bible think? Seems today that people are obsessed with darkness. What do you think? People are obsessed with zombies. They're obsessed with vampires. They're obsessed with magic and witchcraft, things like Harry Potter and Twilight and The Walking Dead and all these things. And sometimes we can sit and we can say, we can shake our heads and say, oh man, I would never be involved with that stuff. Well, you might be involved with things that you don't even know about. You don't even know that are touching on the subject. So we're going to look at this. In the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 28. How many of you know this chapter? We're not going to turn there. You can write it down and read the whole chapter later. It's a very long chapter. But in this chapter, who's the main character? Saul. And what does he do in that chapter? He goes to a witch, the witch of Endor, and he tries to drum up the spirit of Samuel the prophet. Now, if he understood the truth about the Bible, he would know that the dead know what? The dead know nothing. And some people try to use this verse to say that, he really, that, the, that the dead don't really know go to the grave, they go to heaven, and he summoned them back, but the spirit that, summed up, that was drummed up, the Bible says that Samuel perceived that it was Samuel. It wasn't really Samuel at all, was it? But it was a perception that he had because he was so desperate. At that point in time, God was not speaking to him anymore, and the spirit told him that tomorrow you and your sons will join me where I am. And, where was, and what happened the next day? He was he was killed in the battle. He and his sons, and tragically, Jonathan was with him. How sad that was! That the pure-hearted Jonathan must also die. But sin infects not just us, but those we love, doesn't it? It just infects those we love. So I do want to go to this text, though. First Chronicles chapter ten and verse thirteen, and following up on this. First Chronicles chapter ten and verse thirteen. Notice what it says here. I want to make a specific point here this morning. First Chronicles chapter 10, verse 13. It says, So Saul died for his what? His unfaithfulness or his transgressions, which he had committed against the Lord. So had Saul committed a lot of sin, yes or no? He had done all kinds of, of things that were just abhorrences. And it says, Because he did not keep the word of the Lord. So the Bible says, all the sins, you know, when when Saul made the sacrifice before the Lord, and he shouldn't have done that, when he didn't kill everything that the Lord told him to kill, all the sins that he had committed, it lumps them up into one category. It says all his what? Unfaithfulness or transgression, yes? And then it says he did not keep the word of the Lord. So all the things that he did, it lumps it in there. But then it actually mentions something specific. It says, and also... Because he consulted a what? A medium for guidance. Now this is very interesting because God speaks about all his sin, all his unfaithfulness in one sentence, and then, it, and, then, and then he lumps it all together. And then he says very specifically, because he also consulted a medium. So it's almost like this thing of consulting a medium is separate and more severe than even all the other unfaithfulness that he did. Do you see that there this morning you he... Yes or no? So it speaks about this. And so he talks about it. Now I want to show you this uh, statement here. It's very, very profound. It says, Samuel informed Saul that his rebellion was as the sin of what? Witchcraft. Now we all know that phrase from the Bible, don't we? Sin is as the rebellion of witchcraft, or rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. And witchcraft is described over and over in Scripture as one of the most severe sins And the reason that rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft is because rebellion is the ultimate revealing or manifestation of distrust towards God. Are you with me? It's the ultimate manifestation of distrust or untrust towards God. God, the whole process of salvation is about God just trying to get us to trust Him. That's about what it is. That's what it boils down to. So rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft, Then she continues and says, That is, when one commences to travel in the path of rebellion, he yields himself to be controlled by an influence that is in opposition to the will of God. Satan controls the rebellious mind. Those who are thus controlled lose a calm trust in God and have less and less disposition to yield loving obedience to his will. Satan becomes more and more familiar with them until they seem to have no power to cease to rebel. In this respect, sin is as the, or I'm sorry, rebellion is as the sin of what? Of witchcraft. And so, friends, here's the reality. The more you say no to God and yes to sin, the more your disposition becomes inclined to do so. And the more difficult it becomes to say yes to God. Are you with me? And so she says it has such an impact on us that we yield to Satan's will until we reach a place where we have no power to control. We just automatically do it. Now the same thing can happen on the other side of the fence if we're yielding ourselves to the Holy Spirit, amen? We can continue to yield ourselves to God until obedience just becomes absolutely natural. How many of you want to have that experience today? Yes? Yes? But then it says that it's the sin of witchcraft, and so it compares that process in the same thing. Now go with me to the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 18. We're going to see what else the Bible says here. Deuteronomy chapter 18 and verse 9 through 15. Notice what it says. Deuteronomy 18 verse 9. When you come into the land which your Lord your God has given you, you shall not learn to follow the abominations of the nations. The what? The abominations. There shall be not found among you any who makes his son or his daughter pass through the fire, or one who practices witchcraft, or a soothsayer, or one who interprets omens, a sorcerer, one who conjures spells, a medium, a spiritus, or one who calls up the dead. For all who do these things are a what, friends? An abomination to the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord your God drives them out from before you. You shall be blameless before the Lord your God. For these nations which you will dispossess, listen to soothsayers and diviners. But please notice this last little phrase. But as for you, as for who? Who's you? You is me, right? And it's me as you, right? It's you, the people of God. The Lord your God has not appointed such for you. Please say that with me again. The Lord your God has not appointed such for you. So are God's people in any way, in any form, in any fashion, whether it seems innocent or whether you're engaged in it full-fledged, does God make any uh, allowances for witchcraft, sorcery, or dabbling with the occult or the dead of any kind, yes or no? Not at all. In fact, God specifically says that He is not appointed such for you. And what was then the penalty? There are some other passages you can look up here Leviticus 19, I'll let you write them down, we're not gonna look them all up. Leviticus 19, Leviticus 20, Leviticus 21, Ezekiel 13, many of those passages speak about contacting the dead or even ancestral worship. We don't worship those uh, family members that have passed on. Very specific. And what was the penalty for those who dabbled in such things, for mediums, witches, and wizards? What was the penalty for that? It was death. Now, some people say, well, that's pretty harsh. And why was God so forward about this? Why was He so direct and so specific about this instruction? Why was He so harsh on the judgment? Notice this statement right here. This is Ellen White writing in modern times. She says, We have been pained as we have, brought to our note, have been brought to our notice papers, advertisers of sorcery and witchcraft, the work of magicians and all this sort of thing going on in Battle Creek, the place where Adventism began. This is where these, there is in these manifestations of a, of a power that is above human power. And where is it? It is the power of Satan. And just as soon as you begin to bring yourselves in connection with these sorcerers, you bring yourselves and give them the least license, you dishonor God, the God of heaven and imperil your own what? Now notice this. How is Satan working here in Battle Creek? Here come up these magicians, and there is an itching curiosity to go and see. And when they, Seventh-day Adventists, go to see... Notice this. Listen to this. This is very important. They bring themselves in direct communication with the powers of darkness. What kind of communication? Direct. You see, listen. If Satan, if Satan comes in and tempts you to lose your temper, let's just say you lose your temper and you snap at your wife or your husband, has Satan caused you to fall? Has he caused you to sin? Yes. Yes. But does he have complete control over you because you lose your temper once, yes or no? No, he does not. Because there is still a buffer of grace and protection between you and the Lord. Now, he does have one notch more control over you until you repent of that sin and come back to where the Lord was. Are you with me? But he does not have complete control over you. But the Bible and Ellen White both say that if you come in contact with spiritualism and the occult, you remove all barriers between you and Satan, and you come in direct contact face-to-face with Satan. It's like if you open your door and said, please do come right on in. You understand this? It's like you going to his playground and saying, hey, can I play on your merry-go-round for a while? And he says, sure, have at it. How many of you would want to do that? But when you dabble in magic and the occult and these kind of things you come in direct contact with Satan himself. Are you with me? That's why God was so severe, because he says, I have to set extreme measures to protect my people. Why? Because he's a controlling God? No, because we are dull and dumb, and we don't fully understand, and we'll just gleefully go on the devil's playground and not even think twice about it. God says they have to know that this is a no-no. Are you with me? They have to understand this. And look, friends, the devil is a very strong master. He's a very great master at making what God condemns seem innocent. He's a master at what? Making what God condemns seem what? Innocent. How many of you know this to be true? Now, many times people say, oh, well, you know, you know with the Harry Potter books, for instance, or some of the Harry Potter movies or some of the other magic books that are out there people say well they're just so innocent it's good versus evil look look I can't get my kid to read anything else and they're willing to read that so if they're reading that's a great thing right well I'm really thirsty and I got a glass of orange juice or water right there but it has three drops of rat poison in it and one will kill me I'm really thirsty like I know I'm drinking the rat poison but at least I'm getting some water to quench my thirst right isn't that how it works now I want you to notice something there's something called program non-response. How many of you have ever heard of this? That you can be programmed by what you're seeing and watching to become numb to those things which God has condemned. For instance, you just take an example real quick. In the 1960s you know, and 70s on television, you have uh, uh, married couples that uh, when they were on television, they did not even sleep in the same bed, did they? You ever seen I Love Lucy? Uh, that you know, He would kiss her on the cheek, not even on the lips, and they would sleep in separate beds in the bedroom. But then over time, people began sleeping in the same bed, and it just continued to progress. And every time there was something new, people would be shocked. Oh. And then all of a sudden, they'd keep playing that same thing, and they get used to it. Then they'd go a little bit further. Oh. And then they keep playing it, and they'd get used to it. Until now, you have homosexual people sleeping in the same bed, not you know, people that are unmarried, sleeping in the same bed, doing all kinds of vile t- t- uh, things on public television, not even the pay-per-view anymore, and nobody thinks twice about it. That's program non-response. You are programmed to non-respond until your brain becomes saturated and it becomes mush, okay? Now, I'm going to show you something right here. We're going to look at a number of pictures. And back in the early 50s or 60s, whatever, you had Fantasia. How many of you remember Fantasia by Disney? And you have uh, Mickey Mouse, who is uh, this wizard, and he's this friendly wizard. He makes all the brooms dance and do work for him, and it all seems very innocent and very subtle, and, and there's no harm in any of that, right? He's just waving his hands and his wand, and not a big deal, yes? Then you go on, and you have the Adams family, right? You have a family unit, and they're together, and they're just... Enjoying each other's company, but they're all a little creepy. The ones a witch, the ones a vampire, the ones a zombie. And and then you have the little hand floating around. and You have every element of the things in the Bible which God condemns. Every single element. And it's all innocent, and it's all family, and it seems like not that big of a deal. We throw a little comedy in there, and everybody thinks, oh, it's just happy family fun, right? Family entertainment. Then you go on and you got bewitched. A a woman who is a witch, she's married to a man, they got a family and they're all nice and she got that little cute nose twinkle, you know, she goes like this and things happen and and, and there's magic involved and it seems so innocent and so fun. And then you go on and you got the Wizard of Oz, right? You got magic and the witches and I mean, mean, come on pastor, Wizard of Oz, really? Oh yeah, watch this friends, watch this. She goes... Well, let's just say this. Let me just say this. The whole course of the journey with Wizard of Oz is that Dorothy's trying to get where? She's trying to get home, but in order to get home, she has to go where? To the, to the city, this, cele- this glorious city. Think about this. Where all the people are happy. All the people are content. It's a very great paradise and there's this man, the Wizard of Oz, who is this great and mighty power that's there ruling over the land of Oz. And he has the power to send her home. Notice that home is a more desired than the place of the city. Are you with me? There's a parallel there. So she gets to the city and she has her hopes built up about this great man, the Wizard of Oz, who has the power to send her back home. And she realizes when she gets there that the man is a what? That the Wizard of Oz is what? He's a flop. He's a fraud. The man who rules this glorious city where everyone is happy is a flop. Now do you suppose, dear friends, that there's a parallel between that and the heavenly city that we're going to? What do you think? Satan is wanting us to think that the man in the heavenly city is a flop. And he wants us to think that our home here is better than what he has to offer us. Now watch this. They go into the place. They go into the city, into the room, into all this. And little Toto, the dog, he runs away, right? And he scares off. And he finds the man behind the curtain. Think about this. The man behind the curtain. The what? The man behind the curtain in the sanctuary. Is there someone behind the curtain, yes or no? Yes. He finds the man behind the curtain. And when they go in there and they see who it is, and they see that he's a fraud, notice what the man says. The Wizard of Oz, he says, And pay no attention to the little man behind the curtain. Dear friends, that is a, that is a very specifically stra- strategic phrase right there. It is not by chance. It is not just some extra line that they threw in. Pay no attention to the little man behind the curtain. There is a great man behind the curtain. His name is called Jesus, the Son of God, and He intercedes for those who are here on planet Earth before His Father, and He, and he presents to His Father His own blood for our salvation. What do you say, Amen. And we must pay attention to both of those, amen? And we must have an interaction with them. And so these movies are setting little little ideas in people's heads that are contrary to that of the Scripture. What do you think this morning? Then you have He-Man. I watched He-Man as a kid. I was in the 80s. It was a big deal in the 80s. He-Man, the masters of the universe. He would hold up that sword and say, I have the power, and lightning would come from heaven and transform him into something else, and he would go out and battle those of evil. Then in the 90s, you had Buffy the vampire slayer, and she was killing vampires, and she was the good girl. Now notice this, Satan loves to take that which is evil and make it seem good. So he'll take something that is forbidden by God and turn it into a good guy versus bad guy scenario. Do you see what I'm talking about? And he does this so very subtly. So people say, well, yeah, it's talking about vampires and magic and all these things, but Buffy's a good character and she's killing the bad, so therefore it's kind of like the great controversy. So it's not really that bad for me to watch. (sighs) Really. Then you have Charmed that was also popular in the 90s. The power of three, notice what it says there. What is it? The power of three, charmed about three young sisters who are witches. Innocent, sweet, loving girls, all very pretty, all very nice and attractive, fighting the forces of evil uh, against those things, right? And so notice this statement that is involved. If you look at the, uh, the, the cover slide there, uh, down there below where it says the power of how many? Three, notice three, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Notice there, underneath there, there's a phrase. I want you to look at this. Watch this. This is what it says. I call upon you, ancient power. Bring your powers to us, sisters three. We want the power. Give us the power, the kiss of darkness, forging your soul to mine. That's exactly what they say. It's, they're seeking to counterfeit the Trinity. Three powers of darkness, kissing the powers of darkness, asking for the power. So these girls aren't so innocent, are they? They're not, so, they're not so fighting against the forces of darkness. They are forces of darkness themselves. What do you think? Then you add Harry Potter come along, and Harry Potter seems so, so good. See, here's what happens. Satan is Satan's taking that which God condemns and turning it into the good guy. You're with me. He's making it good so that people become sympathetic with that which God has condemned. Are you with me? And so you have Harry Potter, who's a good guy, and not only just a good guy, like the, it used to be years ago that the good guy was like a full grown man, you know, and he was wearing the white cowboy hat and the white suit, and he rode the white horse and he had a white pistol and all those things, right? Now the good guy is even more innocent. Little boys and little girls dabbling with the things that God has forbidden and being the good guy. Then you have things and, and look friends, Satan is getting more and more bold as he goes. He started off with the Adam's family and bewitched. Now you have things like the conjuring and the Lord of the Rings and somebody says, "Oh man, come on, Lord of the Rings that was written by C.S. Lewis." You know, he he was he he wrote it for Christians. It's a Christian book. Well, You know, like, if I told you it wasn't, you wouldn't believe me. You wouldn't believe me. But let's read it from his own lips, shall we? Look at this Chronicles of Narnia. He says this Some people seem to think that I began asking myself how I could say something about Christianity to children. He's speaking about the Chronicles of Narnia. And then fixed on the fairy tale as an instrument, and then collected information about so- child psychology and decided what age group I'd write for. Then grew up a list of basic truths, Christian truths, and hammered out allegories to embody them. This is all pure moonshine. I couldn't write in that way. It all began with images. A faun, F-A-U-N, carrying an umbrella, a queen on a sledge, a magnificent lion. At first, there wasn't anything Christian about them. That element pushed itself in of its own accord. Some people think that it began, uh, oh, notice what he says there. He Notice what he says, a fawn, a what? A fawn. Well, what is a fawn? Here's what a fawn is. Here's a definition of a fawn. One of a class of lustful rural gods represented as a man with a goat's horns, ears, legs, and a tale. That's what a fawn is. And so C.S. Lewis tells you himself that he says, I did not write those books as Christian allegories. People came along and said that after I wrote them, but that's all pure moonshine, he says. I didn't do it. And so if, those, if it didn't start with a Christian funda- uh, foundation, like he said, he said it didn't start with a Christian foundation. It started with images in my mind that pushed themselves on me. Well, if it wasn't Christian, there's only one other power that did it. What was it? Power of Satan, dear friends. And we are illusioned with these things. I remember when I first became a Christian. Before I was a Christian, friends, I was utterly obsessed with Lord of the Rings. Let me tell you, I read all the books multiple times. When the first movie came out, Lord of the Rings Part 1, there's three parts, the trilogy, I went to the theater 13 times to watch that movie. 13 times. When I went, when the second movie came out, I had just become a Christian, just become an Adventist, and I went to the theater about six times. I didn't know anything about going to the movies, I didn't know it wasn't the right thing to do, I didn't know anything about magic and all this stuff. But you know, something began to hit me. Every time I went after I became a Christian, I was like, you know, This just isn't right. There's just something. I was just very uncomfortable, and the Holy Spirit was speaking to my heart. And I eventually came to the place where I had all my books on the shelf, and those books were like gods to me. I mean, like, I reverenced them. I made sure they didn't get wet. I made sure that no food got spit on them. I mean, I was just like worshiping these things. And the Lord impressed me. You know what? You have got to get rid of that stuff. And the day came, when I was thinking about giving them to my friend and then the Lord was like, why are you giving them to him? (laughs) And I took those things and I trashed them. And listen, the third movie came out, the third movie. And you cannot believe the struggle that I had. But I made a covenant with the Lord. I made a commitment to him and I said, Lord, this thing has had more power over me than anything else in my life except you. And I'm giving you, Lord, the permission to brain and my heart. And I said, Lord, as a commitment to you, I will not go and I will not watch that third movie. You can't believe what the struggle it was for me. And I said, Lord, I won't do it by your grace. And to this day, I've still not seen that movie. And let me tell you, friends, as I've immersed myself in the things of God, those things have had less of a power over me than they ever have. I have no interest in them anymore because the resurrection power of Christ is greater than black magic power, Amen. How many of you read that this morning? What about Frozen? You got Frozen there. And uh, some people say, oh, it's innocent. I'm, I don't have the time to sit and talk about that, but if you go to Little Light Studios, they have DVDs about all these things, and I would encourage you to watch them I encourage you to get them. And Frozen, friends, is basically a tale about the great controversy. And the girl, the, 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 the bad sister, is basically Satan, and he's complain- she's complaining and whining about why she was cast out of the kingdom and gaining sympathy for all her reasons why she should be in the kingdom, and et cetera, et cetera. And it is horrific, horrifically tied to the great controversy causing our little children to become sympathetic to Satan's cause very innocently, very subtly. Now, some people will sit and they'll scoff, and that's okay. But the reality is, I'm not right because I'm passionate about it. I'm not right because it's my opinion. I'm right about it because it's the Word of God. And if you watch closely, closely to the videos, you will see those elements brought out. Little lines, little phrases, seeking to sweep away your children and yourselves as well. Then you have the Long Island Medium. How many of you have seen that? This lady goes up to people and she'll say, you know, oh, um, have you, have you, uh, you know, she, she introduces herself as a medium, and she'll say, did you have a grandfather that lived such and such years ago? And they'll say, yeah. And they'll say, oh, well, he wants you to know that, that he's doing okay after he died. And they'll say, well, how do you know that? And She says, well, I'm a medium. And she says, I, I can contact those people. And, and did you know, do you remember the time that you were in the ice cream shop? It was just you and him and no one else around, and he told you such and such and such, and the people's mouths fall open. And they start to cry, and they said, there's no way you could have known that. Well, don't you know that there are evil angels present everywhere? They hear every conversation, they know every word, and they can repeat those things back to this lady. I mean why wouldn't they? Say, they work for Satan, right? And They would know all those kind of things. And, and so uh, society is even using mediums to help locate people that were murdered and so forth, the police forces. Satan is seeking to gain sympathy, piece by piece by piece. Some of the modern movies, like X-Men and, and, and Superman even, I mean, it's, it's scary. You know, there's this one Superman movie where Superman's hovering over the earth and his creator is speaking to him. He says, I've gone to save you. I've, I'm sending you to save them. They're a good people. They just need to see the light and, and you're my only son. And it's just these constant, repetitious reinventions of the gospel in a false, dark way. And people are believing it, they're watching it, and they're being absorbed by it. And I'll say this, dear friends, that some of you today, it's easy to sit here and say, yeah, yeah, pastor, preach it, preach it. Some of you sitting here today are addicted to all these things. God bless your hearts. Jesus loves you. But you're addicted to these things. God is calling us away from them. Amen? The walking dead, people say, oh, there's nothing wrong with that. Notice this statement. There's an interaction between these two brothers He says, uh, two men, Rick and her, I haven't watched it. Somebody told me about this, and I looked it up, and I found this line. It says, Rick, you're a man of God. Have some faith. The man replies, I can't profess to understand God's plan. Christ promised us a resurrection of the dead. I just thought he had something a little different in mind. Isn't that interesting, friends? Now, here's what I believe. Here's what I believe. Why is it that in this age, people are so drawn to these things more than any other age? Why is it that people are in love with darkness? They want to dress darkly. They want to dye their hair darkly. They want to put all kinds of dark stuff on their face. Why are they so sympathetic to the zombies, the vampires, and all these things? It's very simple. What those zombies represent on the outside, how they look on the outside, is how people today are feeling on the inside without Christ. Are you with me? and they connect with that, they, 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 they resonate with that because they say that's how I feel. Because they're dead in their trespasses, they're dead in their sins. Vampires are living, The living undead. You know the zombies are just all rotted but the vampires are alive and they look like real people but they are dead on the inside and that's how people feel. And that's why in this day and age, more than any other, it's so vital and it's so important that God's people awake and are preaching the gospel, the truth about the resurrection power of Christ, that he can make us alive. He can make us fill us with joy. He can give us freedom. He can cleanse us from our sins because resurrection power is greater than the power of darkness. What did he say this morning? Amen. Notice what Ellen White says here. I want to read you the statement. She says, furthermore, God has expressly forbidden all pretended communication with departed spirits. In the days of the Hebrews, there was a class of people who claimed, as do the spiritualists of today, to hold communication with the dead. But the familiar spirits, as these visitants from other worlds were called, are declared by the Bible to be spirits of what? Devils. The work of dealing with familiar spirits was pronounced an abomination to the Lord and was solemnly forbidden under the penalty of death." Now it continues here, and it says, "...the very name of witchcraft is now held in contempt, the claim that men can hold intercourse with inter- evil spirits as regarded as a fable of the dark ages. But spiritualism, which numbers its converts by the hundreds of thousands, yea, by millions, which has made its way into scientific circles, Which has invaded churches and has found favor in legislative bodies and even in the courts of kings, this mammoth deception is but a revival and a new disguise of the witchcraft which is condemned and prohibited of old. You know, people today will say, Oh, God is just ridiculous. There's no concept, you know, they they don't believe in God. They're skeptics, they're atheists, and they won't believe in anything that the Bible says, but they will believe in these things over here. You understand? And they are wishing, they're desiring, they're actually believing that those things are real in the world and unseen. And indeed, they are unseen, they are real very real, the powers of darkness seeking to take their souls, seeking to take your souls, the souls of your children, the souls of your grandchildren, your very own life They would suck out of you if you are participating in these things. It brings us in direct communication with Satan himself. Into what kind of communication? Direct. direct communication with who? Not with the God of heaven, but with the enemy of your soul who would seek to destroy your life. Are you with me this morning? Yes or no? And these things are not new. Everybody thinks, oh, it's so new, it's so cool. These things are just the same thing that's been practiced for thousands of years. It is a pagan, ungodly religion is what it is. It is religion. People who claim to be atheists are worshiping false gods today. Seventh-day Adventists who claim to be worshiping the almighty true God are worshiping false gods today. Anytime you watch this stuff, you're inviting Satan into your house, friends. I'm telling you today, It's very, very clear. Can we safely say today that God is influencing these movies if they contain elements that are contrary to his word? What do you think this morning? Can we we believe that he's influenced the books that are being written? There are people today who are writing movie scripts and music and books and all kinds of things, and they say that when we sit down at the table, when we sit down at the table to write, something comes over me and I go into a trance And my hand starts moving, and I don't know what it's doing, but when it finishes and I look, there's a book, there's a movie script, there's a song lyric. How can we sit as Adventists and not understand this? Are you with me, friends? We have to be very careful. Uh, It's not about, I want you to understand, I'm not trying to pick on movies and all these things, but I'm trying to expose the powers behind them, friends. You can scoff all day, but the evidence is right there. Some people say, well, you know, I know that that's for some people, but I'm not going to be influenced by that. Have you heard people say that? It's not going to impact me. I just like it. It's just nice. I just enjoy watching it. Well, no doubt, anything that would satisfy the carnal heart and if we're carnal would be enjoyable. Anything would be. It doesn't really matter. But in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus tells us that the lamp of the body is the what? The it's the eye. And anything you take in impacts the whole what? The whole body. The trick is, and Satan is so subtle, that he will make you think that it will not impact you, but it always does. It will be impacting you all day, all week, and all month, and you think that you're not impacted. But let me tell you what, friends. If you try to watch those movies for a week, you watch every, one every day for a week, and you see how interested you are to study the Bible at the end of that week. Even at the end of the first day. You, watch the, you listen to that music. You, 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 um, you read those books. And at the end of the week, see how long you want to sit and pray to the Lord God. See how much you want to do that. And don't tell me it doesn't influence you today. Luke 11, verse 35, Jesus said, Therefore take heed that the light which is in you is not what, is not darkness. In other words... He's saying here that you can think you have light. You can think that you are following God, but in reality, you're in what? You're in darkness. You're in darkness. 2 Corinthians 3.18, you can write it down. It says that we are transformed by what we watch. Like a mirror, when we look in the mirror, we're transformed by what we are engaging in. How can you not be influenced by powers, friends, that are much stronger, much smarter, and cunning than yourself, with one agenda to deceive you and your children. How can you sit and say, We will not be deceived? How can we do it? Those powers are much greater than us. If Satan tempted Eve in the Garden of Eden and she fell, and she was unfallen at that time, how do we think who are fallen? and degraded for thousands of years, think that we can withstand Satan when we're sitting on his marigold round and swinging on his swing set. It's not going to happen today, friends. Some people say, oh, it's using magic to do good. It's using magic to do good. My cousin told me that. Well, friends, anything can be used for good. You understand? It can be used for a perception of good. But if it's in the Word of God, and it's what God condemns, then, dear friends, we need to trust that God knows what he's talking about. See, if you say, well, you know, I know it says that, but I'm still going to do this for good, you are not actually believing what God said. Eve thought that when she ate from the fruit, she'd, she would have this, all this knowledge and all this understanding, but it was a deception, do you understand? It's not anything at all good. I remember that my aunt uncle, my uncle was involved with this stuff for a very long time, uh, or my aunt was, and my uncle was thinking about joining the Seventh-day Adventist Church. And there were times he would wake up in the middle of the night and he had a pistol in his forehead like this. And she would say, we need to talk. And she would keep him up all night talking about crazy stuff because she was dabbling in the occult. Then one day she threatened him to that if he... He was thinking about joining the Adventist Church and she threatened him that if he joined the Adventist Church she would kill their daughter. Then he came in one day and he was in the kitchen, he says, You know what? I've decided I am going to join the Adventist Church. She was there and she said her she turned around and her eyes were black, solid black. And notice what she said here. She said, You can join in a man's voice, shifted voice. You can join any church you want, but you will not join the Seventh day Adventist Church. Now, what does that tell you? What does that tell you? And indeed, he did not to this day. Very, very sad. Where does it all lead to? In Isaiah chapter 8, go with me quickly there. Isaiah chapter 8, and notice what the Bible says. Isaiah chapter 8, and verse 19 through 22. Isaiah 8, 19 to 22, it says, "...when when they say to you, seek those who are mediums and wizards who whisper and mutter, should not a people seek their God?" Amen? Should they seek the dead among that behalf of the living, to the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, is because there is no light in them. They will pass through it hard-pressed and hungry, and it shall happen when they are hungry that they shall be enraged and curse their king and their God and look upward. Then they will look to the earth and see the trouble and darkness, gloom of anguish, and they will be driven into What? darkness. That's exactly what all that stuff leads to. Dear friends, whether it's innocent or not, whether it's fun or not, whether it's pleasing to your senses or not, for the love of God, for the love of your children, for the love of your parents, for the love of Almighty God, for the love of His church, for the love of your own soul, cast it off today. Cast it off today. What happens to the Christian when, the, when God rules the life? The Bible says, be ye what? Romans 12, 1 and 2. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And when Jesus has control of your life, your mind will be renewed. Amen? It will be renewed. Go with me to the book of Acts. Go with me to the book of Acts, chapter 19. And we're going to pull this thing to a close. Acts, chapter 19, and verse 19, Acts, chapter 19, verses 19. Notice what it says here. It speaks about a group of people who had magic books, the book of the people of Ephesians. And notice, actually, we're going to start in verse eleven here, Acts chapter nineteen, verse eleven, and it says, "Now God worked unusual miracles by the hand of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs and aprons were brought from his body to the sick, and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out of them." Then some of the itinerant Jews uh, tried to do exorcists. They called upon the name of the Lord. Who had over evil spirits, and they says, We exercise you by the power of Jesus, whom Paul preaches. And there were seven sons of Skeva, and the evil spirits answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? Then the man whom with a spirit was leapt on them, overpowered them and prevailed against them, so they fled out of the house naked. This became known to all the Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus, and fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. And many who had believed came confessing and telling their deeds. And notice verse 19. Also, many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together and burned them up in the sight of all, and they counted up the value of them, and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. Think about this, dear friends. When the power of Christ and the power of darkness clashed together, who was victorious? It was Jesus when the people literally saw the power of God to cast all those things out, they said, there is no true power in all of these things. And they, this is the New Testament here. And they brought those books and they threw them into a fire. Now I want you to notice this statement here. Watch this. It says, when the Ephesians were converted, they changed their habits and practices. When they were converted, they did what? They changed their habits and practices. Under the conviction of the Spirit of God, they acted with promptness. They didn't delay. They didn't drag it out and laid bare all the mysteries of their witchcraft. They came and confessed and showed their deeds that their souls were filled with holy indignation because they had given such devotion to magic. They were angry about it because they had been deceived and had so highly prized the books which the rules of Satan's devising had laid down the methods by whereby they might practice witchcraft. They were determined to turn from the service of the evil one, and they brought their costly volumes and publicly burned them. Thus they made manifest their sincerity to God. The conversion of these Ephesians was attended with the results that always follow a genuine conversion. When convinced that their magical books were false and pecunious, they were unwilling to sell them and thus place themselves in temptation in the way of others. They promptly burned the records of divination at a great personal lot sacrifice the power of truth triumphed over men's prejudices favorite pursuits and the love of money they didn't even sell them to gain the money from them 50,000 pieces of silver i don't know how much that is today but it's a lot And it cost them something to follow Christ. But the freedom which they had tasted in the living Jesus Christ, His resurrection power, to them was greater than the hold Satan had upon them. It was greater than the love of the flesh of this world. It was greater than anything Satan could do for them because they understood at that point in time that Christ had paid the ultimate price for them. And they rejoiced in the peace and the joy that He had had for them. They converted them to the the gospel. And today, friends, I need to ask you a question this morning. I need to ask you a question. Have you burned your magical books? Have you taken the movies? Have you taken the novels? Have you taken all those things? Are those things clean out of your life? Because it says right here in the text, once they did this, the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed, it says in the next verse. Maybe the word of God is not prevailing today. Maybe it's not going forth. Maybe people are not being converted because we have not burned the books. We have not surrendered ourselves wholly to the Lord Jesus. How many of you this morning want to have the resurrection power of Jesus in your life? How many of you today want to say, Lord Christ, I want to give up these things. I want to put these things away. I want to get rid of them. I want to be clean before you. I want to be living in your power and your grace this morning. How many of you want to have this? How many of you are willing to do that today? How many recognize you've got some changes to make? Let me see your hands this morning. How many of you are ready to clean the house when you get home today from camp meeting? How many of you are ready to say, Lord Christ, live fully your grace, your truth in me? How many of you are willing to say that this morning? Do you desire the word of life today? Do you desire to have resurrection power or black magic power in your life? I know this is a very unique and very distinct message, but Christ is calling his people to revival, amen? Christ is calling the word of God to prevail not just in the world, but in our hearts. How many want the word of God this morning? Let's pray. Father, today, we want the word of God. We, we call you, we hear the call that you've given us to repentance. We pray, O oh Lord, that your spirit would revive us, that you would call us to decision, that you would call us to strength and power. Bring us near, O oh Lord. Bring us close. Draw us, we pray, and help us to make those decisions and to stand firm in them. We ask for your blessing, O oh Lord, and we come in Jesus' sweet name. Let God's people say, amen.